Our gospel lesson this morning is taken from the gospel according to Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. I invite us now to hear the good news that we find in the gospel of Luke. He looked up and saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. He said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning and thank you again for choosing to worship with us this morning in this virtual platform. And it is good just to be with you, to find ways to be present with one another in worship and to glorify and praise God together, even as we gather around TV screens, computer screens, we gather in the power and in the unity of the Holy Spirit to lift up our praise and glory. I also want to thank um, Cammie Singleton for offering today's ministry moment and reflecting on, on what it means to witness to our faith through our service and our gifts as she spoke of our membership vows to, um, and renewing our membership vows of uh, prayers, presence, gifts, service, and our witness. We've had some wonderful ministry moments through this uh, series, these three weeks, beginning with George Hardesty, who reflected on what it means to respond to God and God's grace through our prayer life. And then last week, Susan Santoli spoke about how we adapt to be present with one another and how important that is. This sermon series, Faithfully Together, is about what we have done over the past eight months, reflecting on what we have done on these past eight months. It's about how we respond, how we adapt, and how we witness. This series is about taking these lessons forward. It's about being the church during uncertain times. And ultimately, this series about is, is about living faithfully together. You know, as we talk about this series and I want to reflect back on the past two weeks uh, just for a moment. Uh, we have considered you know, how we respond to God's grace through our prayers. What a great and amazing gift God's grace is to us and for us. And our response is often found in prayer as we lift up our, uh, our thoughts and our, our voices to God and as we sit and reflect and receive uh, God's gift in return. We find ourselves responding to God acting first. And in our prayers, we find ourselves offering what we believe, saying, praying what we believe. Then last week, we considered what it means to be a community of faith by adapting to the challenges that are presented to us through storms through pandemics, through shutdowns. It's been a strange year, and these eight months have been particularly challenging. But the church has found ways to adapt. It has found ways to be present together. Because as Kristen spoke last week, our presence with one another 
is important because it promotes faith for the community. We find in our communal life together faith. And faithfully together, we can continue to adapt to be present for and with one another. This week, we will conclude this sermon series, but the conclusion of the sermon series is not the conclusion of our reflections. It's not the conclusion of our moving forward. In fact, I hope that these reflections and these considerations over these three weeks will prompt us and encourage us to continue to evaluate, to continue to respond to God's grace, continue to adapt our presence to be with one another, and continue to offer our witness to our faith. Today we are concerned about our witness. We want to reflect about what it means to offer our witness, to witness to our faith, to witness to God's presence and grace. Specifically, we want to consider how we witness to our faith through our service and our gifts. How we spend our time and money is our witness to what is important to us. How we spend our time and money may also act as a witness against us. For three weeks, we have had this altar table, what we in the church world call altarscapes. I didn't even know that was a word until just a few years ago. And I guess the church is really good about uh, creating words to explain itself. Well, in this altarscape, in this particular altarscape, we have um, put together, well, we've adorned the altar and decorated the altar with several items. There are a stack of books. There's a confirmation stole. There's a candle. And there's a, a, a container of oil, as well as greenery and an orchid. The stack of books, well, these are, uh, we have the Bible here, we have our book of worship here, and the hymnal is, is stacked here. In these books, we find our faith that we sing contained in our hymnal. We find the psalms that we respond to, respond with. We find in the book of worship our order and liturgies and prayers that lead us through the life of the church and the life of worship. And in the Bible we find the truth. We find the Holy Scriptures. But we also find here a symbol of God's continuing story of God's salvation of humanity. So these are symbols of our faith. They're important symbols, active symbols in our life. The, the stole, the confirmation stole, this is, I love these, the confirmands make these every year. There's a session, they sit down and they um, create these stoles. They, they write on the stoles, they draw pictures on the stoles, images and symbols on the stoles of what they believe of their identity, of the church, of God, of Christ, of the Holy Spirit. And then if you'll notice here, there's the number five, and then the letters P, P, G, S, W. As, as uh, Cammie mentioned in her ministry moment, these represent the five point vow of membership. The confirmands make this vow. They speak for themselves. They own the vows that their parents made for them. And as a reminder, as a symbol on the stole, we have P, P, G, S, W for prayers, 
presence, gifts, service, and witness. It's a powerful thing to understand what the confirmands do in this very simple symbol. When they are confirmed, they kneel down, they remember their baptism, and when they stand up after their confirmation, their parents will place the stole around their necks as a symbol that they are gods and they have laid claim to being one of God's own. We also have a prayer shawl here as a, as a symbol of our prayer life, as a symbol of how people serve and pray for one another in the community. The, the, the prayer shawl knitting group has put these together and has offered these to a host of people within our community and beyond our community. And in every stitch and every knot of this, of this prayer shawl is a prayer. And it offers a tangible presence of people praying for one another. The chrismation, this is oil used for chrismation. It's a symbol of God's Holy Spirit and the anointing of God's Spirit upon confirmands and, and baptized and us as God's chosen and anointed. And then the candle represents Jesus Christ as the light of the world. And it also acts as a reminder that we are called to follow Christ, to be a reflection of the light of the world, to be light in the world. And as a church, we are that city on a hill that cannot be hid, that is a beacon of faith, hope, and love in the world, in a world of darkness. And then we have the plants, the plants that require nurture, that require care to grow to remain green. And it's a symbol for us of our growth in the faith, our, vote, our growth in the Christianity in the church. And so we have these symbols, this altarscape before us today and for us for three weeks that remind us of our life together, encompasses our faith together, encompasses our study together, our worship together, all founded on Jesus Christ, on God, that is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we make promises to one another, we make a promise to God that we will support one another by being present with one another, by praying for one another, and by witnessing on behalf of one another and for God. So as we continue to reflect upon uh, what it means to be a witness, to offer our witness to God and to our faith. We have these incredible uh, writings before us. We find in the prophet Isaiah that pro the prophet Isaiah is speaking on the behalf of God when he says, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. And before me there, there was no God formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. You are my witnesses, says the Lord. In this passage, Isaiah offers this powerful word for us. A powerful word for God's people, God's chosen, us, whom God has acted before we even knew God existed. God is acting on our behalf to draw us in, to respond, to be God's people. And the call, 
part of this call to be God's people is to be God's witness, to advocate, to speak on God's behalf as we are led to speak, to proclaim the truth and to verify an account. But above and all for Isaiah is to testify to what is understood and believed. That's our role as a witness. One of God's witnesses called by God. As we turn the pages and we find ourselves in the New Testament letters, we find ourselves with 1 Peter. And I want us to hear again these brief words of 1 Peter because here we begin to understand how difficult it is, how impossible it is to be the church, to be a community of faith, to live faithfully together without faith, without grace, and without the gift of God. Hear what Peter says, Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To Him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. In this letter, Peter is writing to a church that is in, in, in duress. It is facing some troubles. And in an effort to support and encourage the church, he offers this letter. Peter argues that the church to survive, for the church to survive, and, and more than, than survive, but to thrive, the people must serve one another. Serve with an, an understanding that the strength and the grace and the resources required to serve one another are gifts from God. They do not come just from ourselves. We are incapable. Humanity is incapable of providing the resources to hold together a faithful community, to grow a faithful community. A faithful community, a church, the church, is only available, only possible, can only grow as God provides the resources, the grace, and the love to do so. And Peter goes on to say, as we have received God's gift of grace, we are to share this grace with one another. We are to be like good stewards of this grace. There are some important points here. This is, first of all, this is God's grace. It's, it's not ours. We are the recipients of this grace. And this, this gift is not for us to keep. It's not, it doesn't belong strictly to us, but we are to share it. We are to be stewards or to manage it. Maybe it helps us to understand. Maybe it helped Peter's church as he was writing to understand that this, this, this ability, this call to live faithfully together is beyond us because it's God's gift. We are not the source of, of the grace and strength and resources required. This is a gift from God and the strength to serve is a gift from God. So maybe if we begin to understand that to live faithfully together requires a grace that is beyond us, but is given to us as a gift. A gift not to be kept internally with a closed fist, but to open our hands and to share 
with one another. Maybe we can find some comfort and peace and resolve in knowing that what we are called to do to be good stewards of God's grace is not ours to keep. It's not ours to hold, but we are to give it away. For Peter and that early church, this was the essence of survival, this giving and serving and proclaiming what was not theirs. And this is true for us, that for us to not only survive, but to thrive as a church, the essence is our giving and our serving and our proclaiming what is not ours to keep. We find in the Gospels, Jesus speaks about our witness, how we are to witness and how we are to be intentional and purposeful in our gifts and service. We just read moments ago in, in, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this is, this is an incredible scene. If we can just imagine Jesus gathered there in this temple, uh, the temple mount there in the courtyards and, and the porticos, and he's watching these streams of people just parade by as they make their offering to the offering plate, which was a, a large basket, it looked like an upside down um, trumpet, but uh, it, it was a large container and people were, were parading by and they were dropping their coins and their money into this offering plate. And as he's watching, he's sitting with his disciples and he begins to speak. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them for all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. So here in this account, Jesus points out this one older widow, a poor widow, and she has put in these small coins of not much monetary value, but to her. They were everything. They represented life itself. It could be that was her money for the week. You see, when a, a, a woman in that day and age in the, in the patriarchal society, a woman was tied. Her station in life was tied to her father or to her husband or to the male leader of the household, the patriarch. And if the patriarch had died and there were no sons, there were no brothers, her father may have had long passed away. She was left alone. She was left in the margins of society. She was vulnerable. She was compromised. And she had very little resources. She was utterly dependent upon God, God's grace that she finds in the world. These streams of people are, are parading by these, these, these baskets to drop their money in. And, and, and we're told that there's just all these fairly wealthy people, well-to-do people, and they're giving out of their abundance. And then there's this one who shows up apparently by just looking at her. You can tell she doesn't have much. And she drops her coins in the basket. And Jesus points her out. 
and says, this woman has given more than all the rest. Because she's given out of her priorities. She's intentionally given sacrificially. She's given to the community of faith. That was her priority. It may be what Jesus wants us to understand is that in this sacrificial offering that she makes, she is an example of setting priorities. She is an example of being intentional and sacrificial in giving our gifts. Placing our gifts to support the community of faith high on our priority list. For her, it may have been the highest on her priority list. And that's a lesson for us. It's a challenge for us. And I hope we hear it as encouragement to evaluate our priorities, to understand what Jesus wants us to do is to set the community of faith as a priority. The community of faith that is founded upon the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus also speaks of the importance of service and what that looks like. We find that in the Gospel of John in chapter 13, beginning in verse 31 and reading through 35. I invite us to hear these words from John. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going you cannot come. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is a, a powerful uh, passage in the Gospel of John. This is taking place on the last night of Jesus' earthly ministry before his passion. He's had this final meal with his, his disciples, his close net of friends, and he's washed their feet. And if we remember that conversation between he and Peter, who Peter did not want Jesus to wash his feet, this was a, this was a lowly position. The servant who would wash someone's feet as they entered a house was, well, this was, this was well beneath Jesus, the rabbi, the word made flesh. But Jesus says to him, if I don't do this, if I don't, serve you and show you my love for you by doing this, then you will have no share with me. You will have no relationship with me. And if you remember in that story, Peter says, well, don't just wash my feet, then wash, wash all of me. Because Peter understood. He wanted to share with Jesus. He wanted that relationship. It was a priority. And here, after this meal, they have now gathered themselves from the table, from their reclining, and they are making their way outside and making their way to the garden where Jesus knows his, his time to be, has, has come to be glorified. And 
he'll be arrested and will enter his passion. But he continues to preach and teach and continues to pray in, these, in this chapter moving forward. But here we have him reminding his disciples, his friends, of what it means and what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it looks like service. It looks like service that is founded in love, a love that can only come from God as a gift from God because it upsets our, our anticipated and expect, expected stations. Jesus upset the world because he turned everything upside down when he said this is about love and serving one another. As he gives his, his life, his very life up for each and every one of us, he invites all of us to live a life that is sacrificial, that is intentional about serving one another and serving in love. A love that will challenge the world. So as he continues to walk, he continues to teach, and eventually we know that he will be arrested, will enter into that passion that will lead to a cross. But as he makes his way there, teaching his friends to the end what it means to be a witness to God, to be a steward of God's grace, to give sacrificially all that we have to prioritize our life that allows us a share in the life of Jesus. In this passage, we can hear Jesus prepare His disciples to respond in prayer, to adapt their presence and to witness to their faith in how they give and how they serve. These readings taken together shed some light on what it takes to live faithfully together, to witness to our faith intentionally giving and sacrificially and by serving one another in love. And so we go back to the altarscape. And I want us to focus on the or orchid. We've had this same orchid on the altar table for three weeks. And in spite of me... It has remained alive. It has survived and thrived in this room. It lives and grows because someone has watered it every week. Someone has taken the time to maintain it, to be a steward, and to be a witness. When we, order, when we water the orchid every week, we place three ice cubes in the pot. Three. This is enough water to last the entire week. Even though it's not much water, it is critical to the health and growth of the orchid. Every Sunday morning, we put three ice cubes in the pot to nourish this young and tender plant. The plant cannot water itself. The plant can't hold itself up that well as the weight of the blossoms are too great. The height of the stem is too high. 
So we have this dowel that supports the tender plant. The plant can't speak for itself. It needs a witness. The plant can only give as it receives, and what it needs to grow and flourish is water. Three ice cubes. Perhaps the same is true for us. Us as the church. If we believe with Isaiah that we are called to be God's witness, and if we understand with Peter that the church exists to glorify and proclaim God's glory, and we can't do it without God's gifts, and if we follow Jesus' teachings to make supporting the faith community and our faith a priority, to serve one another out of a love that is a gift from God, then we can begin to understand how we are like this orchid. On our own, we cannot grow as a faith community. On our own, we can't even exist as a community of faith. On our own, we cannot live faithfully together without nourishment, care, water, to live faithfully together this week and every week beyond, we need three ice cubes. Now consider for a moment the church's three ice cubes nourishing our faith community when we respond to God's grace through prayer. When we adapt to changes through our presence with one another. And thirdly, when we witness to our faith through our sharing of gifts and service. This sermon series may ultimately be boiled down to three ice cubes that nourish us and allow us to live faithfully together. That we will not only survive pandemics and hurricanes and the trials of life, but we will thrive as God's witnesses. So as we consider being the church and how we as a church respond, adapt, and witness to our faith, I want to close with the prayer that we began this series, taken from the inscription from St. Stephen's Church in Walbrook, London. Let us pray. O oh God, make the door of this house wide enough to receive all who need love and fellowship, narrow enough to shut out all envy, pride, and strife. Make its threshold smooth enough to be no stumbling block to children, nor straying feet, but rugged and strong enough to turn back the tempter's power. God, make this house the gateway to your eternal kingdom. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.